This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We have been in the book of Psalms uh, for the last uh, several weeks since the summer started. Um, We have been in the book of Psalms and I have enjoyed our study I appreciate uh, Jake preaching last Sunday, um, and he, he kept you guys awake, I believe. Um, he yells a little bit, and, um, you know, hey, that's all good. Uh, I probably need to do a little bit more of that every now and then, so get ready. No, um, but, uh, man, I appreciate his passion. But once again, I appreciate just a solid Bible message. And um, at the end of the day, uh, I understand that personalities are a natural thing that people are either attracted to or not attracted to, so I understand it. But we want to become a church to where we are not personality driven. Does that make sense? We're not personality driven. That means if next week, if Steve is up here uh, preaching and the following week, Jeff is up here preaching and the following week, Tim is up here preaching, uh, then it's, it's okay. We're in our series. We're preaching through the Bible. Um, you know, and whoever is up here, uh, our, our common denominator is the Bible is going to be preached. And so... I love all styles of preaching. I like preaching that puts me to sleep. I like preaching that keeps me awake. Um, in fact, it, it's not just the loud, some loud preaching puts me to sleep. I'm a pastor's kid, so nothing makes me more tired than a preacher trying to scream. Like, I just, I'm in like a perfect spot, and I'm just like, I just sit back, I can fall right asleep, scream all you want. Uh, but anyway, that's only for like pastor's kids or people that grew up in church. Like, I, it's kind of soothing. We don't have church pews. But if we had padded pews and a screaming preacher, I would be in heaven. That's my Sunday. That's my nap. That's what I need. And so anyway, <laughs> we, we, we don't have that to offer you today. Uh, but Psalm chapter 37 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, the, the series we've been, we have titled a soundtrack for life. And the book of Psalms is the, it is the song book of scripture, um, It is where we get our themes for the types of music that we sing up here. You say, you know, Josh, how do you and Tim decide what we're going to sing? And and we take, we look at the Psalms and we find out the themes and we find out the structures of the book of Psalms. And then we try to find songs that match that and fit that. And so um, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, uh, I enjoy it. Tim graciously allows me to be a part of that, uh, picking and and choosing and finding some good songs for us to sing. But we, we do that with special care. And there's a thought process behind everything that we sing and everything that we do. And that is because one of the largest books, probably the, most, the largest as far as like maybe chapters and different things, the book of Psalms is dedicated to that. It is a song book. And these Psalms that we have been teaching through and preaching through were often sung in public places. Um, around the, the temple and things like that, they sang these out loud. I'm not going to sing Psalm 37 for you today. I know you were looking forward to it because there's 40 verses, and uh, you were looking forward to hearing that. Guys, by the way, pray for me this week. Uh, tonight I'm preaching at Central Baptist Church in Dunn. Our teenagers are going down there for a, uh, a Color Wars uh, youth activity, um, and I'm preaching there to, the, to their teens and our teens tonight. And so, by the way, teenagers, make sure you're uh, where you need to be, when you need to be there this afternoon. But pray for me, I'm preaching there tonight, and then I'm preaching Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at a youth camp in Fayetteville. 
Uh, so pray for that. Pray for my voice. I, when, I, when I knew I had to sing this morning, I'm like, man, I'm done. So if you call me Thursday, I will not answer. I will text you back, okay? I will not speak to you. Um, I will text you. But pray for me this week as I, as I preach. But Psalm 37, today's sermon is entitled simply, The Road Not Taken. Some of you may recognize that title, and we'll get there uh, by the end of our message today. The, the Road Not Taken. These different psalms that we have preached through, and, and obviously the many, many others that we have not been able to preach through yet, they evoke some sort of emotion and feeling from those that are listening to it and those that are singing it. And by the way, music is emotional, okay, by nature. And it ought to be emotional. It plays on your emotions. Music is an art form. If you don't believe that music should be emotional, go into three different types of restaurants. Go to a very, like a luxurious, high-end restaurant and just pay attention to what music is being played subtly in the background. And then go to a buffet. I haven't been to a buffet in a while. Um, Buffet food kind of scares me. But hey, go to a buffet and listen to what is being played in the background. And then go to a fast food place and just other than Chick-fil-A, because you know Jesus' music is played there. But go somewhere other than Chick-fil-A and just listen to what is being played in the background. And you know what they, corporate America, has figured out? That subtle music will push people in a certain direction. If I go to a really expensive restaurant and they want me to stay there for a long time and order a lot of food and order appetizers and order dessert... There's going to be calmer, slow music because they want me to chill and spend all my money. If you go to a fast food restaurant, it's called fast food. Now, they may not have thought it through as much as the luxurious restaurant has, but more than likely, you're going to hear some sort of top 40, upbeat, let's get it and go, get your food, get out of here because there's somebody behind you in line. Right? Music, it is emotional. Listen, I, I listen to some songs that have been written uh, over the last, say, 15 years, and they're songs from, like, a dad's perspective about, like, sending his daughter away and her leaving home. And I'm like, no, please, God, no, I don't want to listen to that again. Please, like, please tell Kenny Chesney to stop writing those, like, whatever. <laughs> Boycotting that fool. I don't want to, you know, I, I'm not blinking, okay? Like, I'm not going to blink. I got it. I'm not going to, so... Songs are, songs are written like that. And they're written for a reason. They're to evoke emotions. Party and, and, and exciting and positive songs are written for that purpose. And so what we found in the book of Psalms is we found ourselves in a cave with David as he is in despair, writing about it therapeutically, as Saul is looking for him, trying to kill him. We have found David making declarations about God and his trust in God with him not knowing if the moment he steps out of that cave, if an arrow is not going to hit him in the chest and he's gone. We've been there emotionally. We've been on mountaintops. Praise ye the Lord. And we're going to be there next week. We're going to be on another. We're going to be on a mountaintop next week where David praises God. We've also been with David when he is aware of his sin and he has confessed and repented of his of his sin 
once again evoking emotion of God, I've sinned and I come before you in repentance. And we know there are psalms that, many more psalms that invoke other types of emotions. And by the way, emotions are not a bad thing. Emotions are a good thing. I get nervous around someone who never ever shows emotion. Maybe a little nervous. I'm like, what's going on in that head <laughs> that I don't know about? All right. I get nervous. Emotion is a good thing. But this psalm is somewhat unique in that David writes this psalm as Grandpa David. Verse 25 lets us know that he is older in age. David is somewhat writing this psalm, this song, in reflection. He's kind of looking back, and he's just as if you were able, and, and like my grandfather uh, has been uh, passed away for several years now, but if I were able to go back and sit on the front porch on the rocking chair with my grandpa and say, hey, tell me a little bit about, give me some advice. Talk to me about when you were young. Reflect a little bit. This is kind of what David does here in this psalm. And if you had a godly grandfather uh, or a godly grandmother, probably those conversations would come back around somehow to telling you, hey, this is the right thing to do and this is what you ought to do. And this is the wrong thing to do and this is what you need to stop doing. I know that's the way my grandparents were. Like they were really kind and sweet about it. But at the end of the day, if I ask for their advice, they're going to be like, listen, stop doing this and start doing this. I promise you. You'll understand when you're my age one day. And we've heard people say that. But this is the seasoned veteran, David. He's writing about the great riddle, as Charles Spurgeon called it. And the riddle is this. The prosperity of the wicked versus the affliction of the righteous. A great mystery. The prosperity of the wicked. Why does the wicked seem to be prospering? And the affliction of the righteous. Why does it seem that righteousness continues to fail, to be in affliction? And David addresses that here. He encourages uh, believers to stand for what's right and to live in a biblical uh, manner. And he encourages them to guard themselves from the wickedness. Guard themselves from envying what seems to be uh, the way of the wicked and the prosperity of the wicked. And remember, this is not young, exuberant, shepherd boy David. This is not, give me a stone, I'll kill Goliath. Not, don't give me armor, just give me a rock, I'll take care of him, David. This is post-Bathsheba, post-murder, post-losing children, post-having his children trying to kill him, post-having... The king trying to kill him. This is David. This is seasoned, grizzled veteran David. And I want to learn this morning from what he has to say. Heavenly Father, teach us from your word. God, I pray we would learn from it. We would take it to heart. We would apply it. God, we would then live it. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. You promised it would not return void. And God, today I pray that you would just minister to us through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me just let you know, by the way, I thought of this during prayer. The smell that you smell, they are working on stripping and waxing all the floors in the area. And that's what that is. We 
there's a whole pallet full of like floor stripper in there and it's horrible and uh, that's what it is so just fyi so just want you to know there's no like spoiled milk or anything around or dead animal in here anywhere okay so as we do break down this passage of scripture this psalm the song we're going to see david present two basic lifestyles once one lifestyle is the lifestyle of the wicked so what evildoers this is what the wicked this is the way that they live and then the second lifestyle is the righteous the holy this is what the righteous life looks like and the good versus the evil uh the darkness versus the light Praise the Lord. Uh, The darkness versus the light, the good versus the evil. And David basically says this, you can live this way, the righteous life, or you can live this way, the wicked life. You have a choice to make. And much like a grandfather in a rocking chair, David gives us the unadulterated, cold hard truth and let's see what he tells us as we look in this passage the first thing i want us to see is david it tells us to guard yourselves from envy guard yourselves from envy look at the first verse of psalm 37 do not fret because of evildoers nor be envious of the workers of iniquity for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb christians sometimes have a really bad habit and that habit that sometimes christians get into is that we like to look over the fence at what other people are doing i don't know if any of you were a home improvement fan back in the day but we like to do like the neighbor wilson and we like to peer over the fence and we like to look and what we do when we do that is we like to see all the seemingly fun, entertaining, and pleasant life that people who are not believers tend to have. We, we as Christians oftentimes subliminally think that because we are Jesus followers, we have had to give up so much, which is not necessarily wrong, but that we know we are being withheld from all of this over here that we could be doing. And we get in that mentality as Wilson on home improvement. The wicked seem to prosper. The sinners seem to be winning. The grass seems to be greener. That's a common thought, whether it be in someone's marriage. Hey, the single life grass is greener than the married life. Or... The grass over there with that man or that woman seems to be greener than the grass that I have over here with my spouse. That's obviously not a biblical thought, but we have that habit. And this can and will lead to legitimate envy of evildoers. And none of us are going to be like, yeah, that's me. I look at my unsaved co-workers and I think, man, what a life. No, it's nothing we're going to verbally admit to. It's something we're going to subtly do in our heart and in our mind. We're not going to get together when we're hanging out with our friends and go, hey, this is a guy at work, man, he's just got a great life. I really wish I had that life. None of us are going to verbalize that. 
But subliminally, we're going to think, if I just had that. Man, if, if my life just looked like fill in the blank. If, 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 if. And this seems to be obvious display, obviously displayed most in the lives of teenagers, adolescents. As, once again, they're not going to admit it because they're, it's 2019 and they're, they're chill. But they look at the lives of, of the famous. They look at the lives of those who have made it. And now in 2019, it's so much easier, quote unquote, to make it because all you got to do is get noticed on YouTube. Or all you got to do is find your way onto one of these shows and just make a name. And it's like, I want to be. I want to be. I've got a singing voice. I, I'm personally, I'm going on the voice next. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but. But you see it in young adults and adolescents who envy fame and influence. But they oftentimes fail to acknowledge the baggage that comes with it 100% of the time. We tend to desire the product, the fame, the fortune, the the quote-unquote easy life, not having to worry about money. But we don't think of the price that's paid for that life. Isolation from real friendship, a lack of privacy. I mean, you can't go to the grocery store. You can't go out to eat with your family, right? I mean, you think about talking to a teenager about this. Like, do you really want that? Dependence often on addictive substances. And we tend to desire something that we can't have. We tend to look over and become desirous of, I say evildoers, not that every person that's made it is an evildoer. I thank God for those that have made it and have a great testimony and shine their light for Jesus. But let's be real. That's the very, 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 very small minimum. Whether it be athletically, whether it be in the entertainment business, whether it be in the music business, wherever it may be, whatever the fame and fortune may be, whether it be in the business world, the very small percentage of them are Jesus followers and those that are face conflict every time they mention his name every time they're asked questions about what the Bible says they face criticism at the end of the day all I'm trying to say is let's pause and let's guard ourselves from envying other people and the life that God has given them that's what David says here He says, hey, stop wishing that you were somebody else. Stop wishing that you had been raised some other way. Hey, stop wishing that your past was different. Stop wishing that you could be like those people over there, whoever that may be. Stop. And I believe that's good advice. It's good advice for me. Can I be very real with you? We are a young church, and and church planting is kind of a... uh, it's kind of a popular thing now, more popular than it was several years ago. And what I can fall in the trap of sometimes, be honest with you, is as I talk to other church planners and as we interact, it's kind of getting into that comparison. Oh, man, you guys ended up with a permanent building that quickly? I got a friend in Michigan who got a permanent building before they ever launched. A church was like, hey, we like what you're doing. Here's our building. What? Like, Lord, where is that? Like, Hook a brother up, you know, please. Um, I hear that and I'm like, it's, it's very easy to peer over and be envious. 
Hey, it's very easy when you move into that new house and then the guy at work moves into that house that's way, way nicer and more expensive. Isn't it? Sometimes it's kind of easy to go, oh. Don't be envious, David says. Hey, Grandpa David, as he sits on his front porch, you know, eating a pack of crackers and a Werther's Original. <laughs> you know, got, he got there at 5.15 in the morning, woke up bright and early. Guard yourself from envy. Guard yourselves from envy. Hey, listen, that, that life of sin, and that's, the, that's what he's specifically talking about, that life of sin has its consequences. Guard yourself from envying that life. Secondly, let's look at the profile of a life of biblical faith. The profile of a life of biblical faith. So David says, hey, don't envy the evildoers. Don't envy those that are doing wrong. Now let me show you what a life of biblical faith looks like. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Verses 4 and 5 are popular verses. Verse 6, he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord And wait patiently for him. The profile of a life of biblical faith looks like three words. It looks like trust, trust, feed on his faithfulness, and delight in him. Trust, trust. That desire that used to be envy now turns into a biblical trust. In Jesus trust in him trust in the Lord and do good delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart trust in him and delight in him put your full go all in with him delight in his word he's going to correct your desires you think about it He said, don't desire the envious. And then he says, if you'll trust in the Lord, and if you will delight in him, he's going to give you the proper desires. He presents the problem. You're desiring envious. You're envious of of evildoers. You're desiring what they have. Then he says, if you will trust and delight in me, I will change your desires. Man, if I got nothing else from studying this passage, like, God, will you please... Do that for me. Will you change my desires from desiring the wicked to desiring you? Will you change my desires from sin to my Savior? Will you, will you through the Holy Spirit's power working in my life, will you change my desires from everything that is wrong to things that are right? Will you change my desires? <clears throat> I don't know if we ever ask for that. I don't know if we ever seek that. I don't know if we ever ask God. The Bible does tell us to ask him to lead us not into temptation. God, can you please lead me away from temptation and change my desires? Trust. That's what it looks like to have a life of biblical faith. But the second part is commit. Commit. It says to trust in the Lord. But then verse 5 says commit your way to the Lord. 
trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. A commitment. Commit your way to Him. That word brings with it the, the connotation of a resolve, a resolution, a commitment. I am going this direction, and I'm not turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, and no turning back. I'm resolute. I have resolve. I am not changing. I commit myself to Him. So I trust and delight in Him. I commit myself to Him. And I love this part. Rest. How many of you are looking forward to that this afternoon? Yes. Saw some hands. Rest, verse 7, in the Lord. And wait patiently for Him. Listen, when you will trust and delight in Jesus... When you will then commit to him, listen, take a nap, rest, rest. Three of my favorite words, God's got this. Breathe, rest. God has you. When you live this life of biblical faith, when you don't envy the evildoers, but you delight in Jesus, rest. Rest. You, that, that person at work that keeps uh, stirring things up, that keeps attacking you, that keeps you... Rest. Rest. You look at the bank statement, you're like, oh my goodness, how in the world... Rest. Rest. It ain't going to put any more money in there, but it's going to make you feel better. All right? Uh, rest. Rest. Rest in Him. The, a holy rest. And a calmness and a peace that this world cannot understand. A patience that will boggle the mind of your unbelieving friends and loved ones. That's what a life of biblical faith looks like. Trust, commitment, and rest. It's not oversimplified, it's biblical. One of my favorite verses, passage of scripture, is in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. These are... Closest, uh, verses that are close to me. These are my dad's favorite two verses. Whenever he would sign Bibles, which I don't do that. So uh, whenever, whenever he would do that, he would always sign that, um, these two verses. And these, these verses say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Trust. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Commitment. And he shall direct your paths. Rest. Think about it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not to your own understanding. That's trust. In all your ways acknowledge him. All in. I'm all in. I commit. He's going to direct your paths. Rest. Get out of the driver's seat. Get out of the passenger seat because that's annoying. Get in the back. And lay down and shut your eyes. Rest. Rest. It's the profile of a biblical life of faith. Thirdly, I want us to see this, the profile of the life of wickedness. I told you, David, gives you, here's the right way to do things, here's the wrong way. Your your choice here. This is good, this is bad, up to you. Look at verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. 
By the way, that's a precursor to the Beatitudes uh, and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Verse 10, For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Another prequel. And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Verse 12, The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. David puts all of his cards on the table here. And in a nutshell, he says this. If you choose to live a life of wickedness, there will be intense payment to follow. And that's a warning from a grandfather that we must all heed. Evildoers, David says, will be cut off. They shall be no more. Their day is coming. They will draw the sword at the poor and needy. They will be killed by their own sword. In a nutshell, David says this, you cannot live a life of sin and avoid the penalty of sin. You cannot live a life of sin and avoid the penalty of sin. I like to say it this way. You may be able to make your own choices, but you cannot make your own consequences. I want that to sink in. You may be able to make your own choices, but you cannot make your own consequences. Hey, you can choose the sinful life, and that is your choice. And as your pastor, I take my hands off, and I say, you can make that choice. That is your choice. Live a life of sin. You can make your own choice, but you cannot make your own consequence. And my job as your pastor and your friend is to be there when the consequences happen, and not to say, ha, I told you so, but to say, I love you so. And that's my job as your pastor. But at the end of the day, let's be real for a minute. Let's be, let's be honest. You can choose. You can choose. Make your choice. But you can't make your consequence. And David says here, there will be consequences. If I can say this to the unrepentant sinner, there will be hell to pay for your sin. There will be hell to pay. A life of sin never works out in the end. Can I say this, young people, teenagers? Sin will take you places that you never dreamed you'd be. Sin will wake you up in rooms you never thought you'd be in. Sin will wake you up with people that you never thought you'd be with. Sin will mess you up. But it didn't mess up. So stop envying evildoers. Sin will mess you up. Now, it may mess you up a different way than it messed old boy over there up. There's really nobody over there. You don't need to look. All right. Uh, I saw some of you like, 
You heard him come in the door earlier. I mean, was, anyway, y'all don't know, man. I'm about, I don't pack, but man, if I did, like, I, I didn't know what was going on over there a minute ago. I was about to karate, just a karate kick through there. Um, but at the end of the day, sin will put you in spots you never thought you'd be in. Sin will make you make choices you never thought you had to make. Sin. There's people in this room that have lived long enough on this life that they could get up here and testify and they could say, listen, I was living a life of sin and this is where I wound up. And if you would ask me 5, 10, 15 years earlier, would you ever be sitting in that spot? No way in this world. But sin will. Be warned, young people. I love this. Be warned, adults. Can we stop acting like sin just affects young people? Be warned, adults, grown people. Be warned. Sin will take you places you never thought you'd go. Sin will take you in a spiral that only God can rescue you out of. And I beg you this morning to listen to the advice of Grandpa David. I beg you this morning, if you're living a life of sin, if you're living a life of public, open, unrepentant sin, then I pray that one of two things happen. I pray that you have a true salvation experience with Jesus. Or I pray that you have had one and you are so far away from him that you come to a place of repentance before him and confession where he he draws you back to himself. I pray this morning because here's the thing, there's a lot in the balance. If what the Bible says is true, there's a lot in the balance for your choices to live that, that life of sin. There's a lot in the balance. And David throws it all out here. Hey, David's that grandpa that's like, hey, look, man, I'm not going to pull any punches with you. I'm going to be straight up. And David was. The life of sin never works out. Hey, it may seem okay. It may seem good. It may seem fine. It may seem like I'm doing my thing. By the way, if you're doing your thing and you don't feel bad about it, you might, once again, you might want to check your, your Lord and Savior status. You might want to check your salvation status. I seem to be able to do whatever I want to do and it don't matter. Okay, cool. You, you go ahead and roll that. Roll that dice. Keep rolling it. Keep rolling it. Because sin brings its consequences. We saw the profile of a life of biblical faith. We see a profile of a life of wickedness. And then David concludes the portion that we're going to be in. He concludes with God's way is always best. God's way is always best. I can just hear a grandpa saying that. Hey, boy, listen to me. God's way is always the best way. Can't you hear? I can just hear now my my dad's in his mid-70s. Hey, God's way is always the best. Sounds so much like grandfatherly advice. But let's look at what he says. Look at verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever they shall not be ashamed in the evil time and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied the upright when there's famine in the land they're going to be fine skip down to verse 22 for those blessed by him shall inherit the earth but those cursed by him shall be cut off the steps of a good man are ordered by the lord And he delights in his way. Though he fall, the good man, the good man shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. David says, I have been young 
and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. God's way is always best. It's always best. Living in righteousness will pay eternal dividends. Living for Jesus pays in the end. And that's, that's not why we do it. But that's just the facts. There is a spiritual blessing given to those who live in righteousness. The steps of a good man, David said, they are ordered by the Lord. And though that good man falls, he will not stay down because the Lord will uphold him and will raise him up. Listen this morning, we've profiled the life of righteousness and we've profiled the life of wickedness. And David says, choose righteousness. But, but the life of righteousness is a little more difficult than the life of wickedness. Okay, fair enough. Choose righteousness. But it's going to cost me a little bit here. Like There's this friendship. Choose righteousness. But, but my kids, they don't really understand and they really want to do. Choose righteousness. But if I do this, I'll be able to get that angle on that job at work and I'll be able. But I got to slip around. Choose righteousness. David says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Hey, I'm an old man now, David says. And listen, David's been on both sides of this. David's been the wicked man and David's been the righteous man. Hey, David's been the the king. He's been the, the, the giant killer and defeater in righteousness. And David's been the one who's lived in wicked sin. David can, he's got the, he's got the street cred to say this. And he says, I have been young and I am now old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. God's way is always the best way. In conclusion this morning, there are really only two options. The broad way of wickedness or the narrow way of righteousness. And can I give you a word of warning? If you don't watch out, you're going to end up exactly where you're headed. Can I say that again? Let it sink in. If you don't watch out, you're going to end up exactly where you're headed. That statement was told to me as a young adult, and people ask, I, I had a, I'm not here to give my testimony, but I had a, a couple of years in my young adult life where I ran from the Lord and did whatever I wanted to do, any, whenever I wanted to do it. Praise the Lord. And I was at Bible college while I did it. They only know about like 10% of it, so that's how I made it through. Uh, but anyway, did whatever I wanted to for a couple of years. And people are like, oh, when did it click? Like, when did the Lord really draw you back to himself? And when did you get on this, like, the Lord is going to use me? I know God wants to use me in ministry and serve him. And, like, I think people are waiting for, like, man, I was at this, like, conference, and this guy preached, like, this crazy good message. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, here I am, God. And, like, I floated to the front. It was crazy. 
you know, honestly, people say, when did, like, when did, when did the heart click and the mind click and the actions click? Like, when I sat there one night and I thought, hey, Josh, if you don't watch out, you're going to end up exactly where you're headed. Hmm. Can I say, if you don't watch out, your marriage is going to end up exactly where it's heading. If you don't watch out, your financial situation is going to end up exactly where it's heading. Very practical. I apologize. If you're spending more than you're bringing in every month, you better watch out because eventually you're going to end up exactly where you're headed. Listen, spiritually, you're going to end up exactly where you are headed if you don't watch out, if you don't make some changes. That completely shifted my life. That completely changed my life. I cannot keep going this way and end up over there. I've said this, I can't go this way and end up over there. It's not going to happen. And I had to make that choice. And David says here, I wish this was an easier passage. I wish, look, when I, when I thought, when I knew I was going to 37, I'm like, oh, there's some really good verses in 37. I'm going to highlight those verses and peace be gone. But when you start studying 37, it's a little bit of a hard-hitting truth. And I, don't, don't get mad at me. Talk to David one day. He's a man after God's own heart. He'll be there. He'll talk to you when you get to heaven. But if you don't watch it, you're going to end up exactly where you're heading. Grandpa David, hey, boy. Hey, young lady, look up here. You better, you better think about it. You're going to end up, you're heading down that road, you're going to end up at the end of that road. Grandpa David would say. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. That's not... That's just the cold hard facts. That's just, listen, there are few people who are going to serve Jesus in a genuine, pure heart as a true believer. And there's going to be a whole lot of people that blatantly deny Jesus, which we see all over, billions of people all over the world. And then there's going to be that other few that have a form of godliness and they're not legitimate. Facts of life here, that the narrow gate is the gate of life. And the broad gate, the wide gate, is the gate of destruction. Just as Robert Frost penned in his famous poem, The Road Not Taken, we too should live a life on a narrow road, leading to the narrow gate on the road that's less traveled. You probably know this poem I believe I had to memorize it back in the day. I no longer have it memorized. But it says, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. By the way, there's a lot of spiritual... You can't either. You can't live... And I, you're going to get the illustration without me having to do much more than this. But you can't live a life of wickedness and a life of righteousness. That's all I can do. All right, so you get the point. As, you, as those roads continue to go. Anyway, you get the point. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. 
then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. And I will say, let me take exception to that in our spiritual lives, that if you've chosen the road of wickedness and destruction, that we have a God that believes in second chances and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth and tenth chances. Some of us are on like 18, all right? So I will say in that part, but he says, knowing how a way leads on the way I doubted if I should ever come back, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. I'm going to think back on this point. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Can I say in our spiritual lives, take that road less traveled. Take that road that leads to life, the narrow one. And you know, when you take the narrow road, sometimes this world and our culture is going to say that we are narrow-minded. And they're going to look at us and they're going to say, oh, I can't believe that you think you're the only one that's right. And we know that's not the spirit and the heart that we have or even the belief that we have. But take the, be willing to take the narrow road. That's a hard thing to say. Be willing to take the narrow road. Be willing to walk in the path of righteousness. Because the path of righteousness leads to life everlasting and life eternal and blessings with our Heavenly Father forever. But that path of destruction, that path of wickedness leads to death and destruction. That life of wickedness leads you to places you never thought you would go. So what's the answer? Can I say this? If you're living that life of wickedness this morning, I have good news. You can always go back. You can always go back. It's called repentance. It's kind of a Christianese word that I guess church people are scared of. It's so biblical. It's called repentance. God, I am wrong. You are right. I am going to stop doing wrong, and I'm going to start doing right. That is repentance. It starts with confession and repentance. And through the help of the Holy Spirit, as He leads and guides, and as we walk in Him, and as we walk in the Spirit, we live a life now of righteousness and holiness, committed fully to our Savior. But it's your choice. Grandpa David says, Hey, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Grandpa Robert Frost said, you got a choice to make. You got a road to the left, you got a road to the right. You can live a life of wickedness, you can live a life of righteousness. And let me encourage us as a church, can we forsake our wickedness? That looks like legitimate repentance. That looks like while we get up here and we sing a worship song at the end, that looks like you praying and talking to God in confession and repentance for your sin. And that looks like yielding to his spirit 
to walk in Him and walk in truth and walk in righteousness. Listen, our church, God's not going to bless a church full of wickedness. Can I be real? He's not going to bless a church full of wickedness. He's not going to bless a church that comes to church on Sunday, does his thing, goes home and lives however it wants to. God's not going to bless that church. Choose the road not taken, the road less. Travel Heavenly Father, speak. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.